Hi, welcome to Trek Bell. We have a lot of great things planned for today. Couple surprises, some regular departments. We'll be checking in with Janine at the Star Trek Con 2012, where she'll be revealing the latest in Star Trek fashions. And then we'll have the great latest collectibles report. Should you have bought that Jar Jar Binks action figure? I don't know. This is a Star Trek show. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. But first, let's check in with Devil in the Dark. Hi, how are you? Oh my god, that's frightening. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, Richard, lay it on me. Did uh, you like this episode or not? I liked it a lot. Okay, good, because I really liked this episode. It was almost a perfect episode. This is like my, I think this is my favorite episode of the original series. Okay, this is one of I have. The- I have like no critical like objectivity i I just like totally love this episode like i've seen it like 10 times and yesterday when i was sitting there watching it i'm just like this i'm like what's happening what's (laughs) happening i can't believe it it's so tense the um so this is your trouble with tribbles yeah i think so okay i I just i I find this episode to be immensely entertaining thought-provoking uh i love it i just love it well great well why don't you walk us through the episode devil in the dark I can't. I can only crawl because I'm a Horta. Oh, that's a, the Horta is adorable. I know. I know. I know. It's like a little. It's like you know. All I saw from the Horta was it was shaggy, and then you see it's basically like a rug with rocks on it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's great. and how great is it that McCoy? Like, at the end of the episode with the Horta, he's like, I fixed it! Yeah, and he's like, he's just got, like, plaster of Paris that he's put on it. Like, he's just paper mache it to help. No, it was concrete. I, I, I know, but I mean, say, pretending it was paper mache makes it funnier. I mean, it obviously wasn't concrete. That Somebody had to wear that costume. It was probably more of a styrofoam and latex rubber. No, it actually was concrete. It was extremely heavy, and the man who was in that costume in later years had serious back problems. It's actually a real shame. Wow. Well, you did say that they you know, made the costumes in a sweatshop, so they were really low budget. <laughs> they did, yeah. <laughs> no, I think – okay, so I – okay. I'll just say this right out. I think the great thing about this episode is that it's pretty much the inverse of the man trap. Yes, that's true. And it's it's what the man trap should have been, honestly, because the man trap like didn't really feel like a Star Trek episode because they're basically like, well, whatever, it's this thing and it's killing people, so we just need to kill it. And we're going to kill it, we don't care. Like we're not yeah. scientists, whatever. We're just going to kill it. Kill it, kill it, kill it. Whereas in this episode they start out with that. But as the episode goes on and they actually find out that the um a creature is intelligent, it's it's like this total revelation, and I think it's like you watch the show like developing before your eyes because yeah. it's like, it, you, like the steps that they got there from the man trap to the devil in the dark. It's like twenty episodes, and we've seen how like the characters have evolved, the point of views have evolved. This is a post Metrons Kirk and Spock. A- absolutely yeah, um, and we'll get to the Metrons uh, in the next episode, Aaron of Mercy. Ah, um, I I was gonna get it go there too. Yeah, so. But I, I really like the fact that uh, it, it it almost it almost erases the the sort of like sour taste of the man trap for me because neither one of us really like the man trap very much yeah. and I think I don't like the man trap because it just doesn't seem like the characters that you know I have come to know and love from you know my like 20 years of, of star trek fandom whereas you of course don't have as much experience with them but still in the man trap there was the easy solution of here's the last of its kind let's just keep giving it like salt shakers and that all placated it's only killing people because it's starving to death and trying to preserve its species yeah 
exactly. And what I like so much about the devil in the dark is that it, it does fix that. And, and, you know, okay, this thing is killing, it's uh, killing miners and, you know, it's killed like 50 people and the, the miners are legitimately upset as I would be yeah. with this, you know, and they don't know, they don't know. I mean, to them, it's like, you know, this, the space equivalent of a tiger is stalking them and they're going to kill it because, well, it's a tiger. And yeah. That's what you do to tigers if they're killing people. But they're accidentally and inadvertently destroying its habitat and it's, right. it's, it's young. So and not, yeah, not only its habitat, it's young, you know, and, and, and the species in, in general, because yeah. as we find out later on, there's only one Horta and every 50,000 years they all die off. <laughs> Which and... is the stupidest no, it evolutionary. Totally like, how did that evolve? It, it doesn't How did that sense. possibly be the, 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 the way that because e- even allowing for a bizarre evolution that made silicone life th- th- that makes no sense no it, it it doesn't really make any sense and I, you know that is like the one i think thing in the episode that that doesn't really work but it's only mentioned once and you just kind of go oh, well okay whatever and the rest of the episode is so strong that really oh yeah you, you can't like let that bring it down no oh, no it didn't break it for me no absolutely no of course not um but I think it's like, yeah, it, it's it's Star Trek at its best. It's like exploration. It's let's find out what what actually is going on, preservation of life, you know, all of these things. And it, it, it's a mystery, as mm-hmm. as I think all of the best Star Trek episodes we've seen so far have been. Uh, but it's a mystery with a really satisfying conclusion, a really logical conclusion. And it, it, it also, like, there are sign points along the way where you have the um, silicon nodule in the, in the yeah. head miner's office. And later on, it's revealed that it's an egg. Um and also the thing I like most about it is it, it it's really centered on the Kirk and Spock friendship in a really interesting way. Uh, because, of course, Spock is a scientist and, and, and he doesn't want to kill this creature unnecessarily because he's theorizing it's a silicon life form. And uh, that's unknown to them as it is to us. Yeah. Uh, and the thing about it is, of course, is that um, as soon as... I mean, he even goes so far as to... Uh, not exactly go against Kirk's orders, but... He makes an order that Kirk did not give him. Yeah, he basically says, oh, we'll capture it if you can, and Kirk is like, I didn't say that. Like, don't do that, Spock, again. And I loved right after that that Kirk's basically like, all right, you're back on the ship with Scotty, and, like, you know... He benches him, basically. Yeah, and Spock basically just talks him out of that. Yeah. And, you know, finally Kirk's like, all right, all right, you know, you're sorry, I get it. I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Like, Kirk knows that Spock is not someone that he can't trust. I mean, yeah. Spock, he's, he trusts Spock. He's going against that order, not out of betraying Kirk, but because he feels there is a higher order to be followed. And yeah. again, out of Kirk's, Kirk realizes Spock only does that when he has a goddamn good reason. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, those, those scenes set it up nicely for the scene that I think directly comes after that, where Kirk finds the Horda and he gets on the on the communicator with Spock and and says that you know oh, actually he, he's right here like yeah. uh, things here uh, I mean they don't know it's the horde at that point um, and and Spock immediately says no kill it like yeah. kill it now and I and you know it's funny because I I've read uh, differing opinions on that scene because some people think that it's a little out of character for Spock to want to kill the horde like right after he's you know yeah and gone this... out of his way to to sort of like almost defy orders and 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 really try and get Kirk to to tell his his crew to to capture it yeah there is this that's a recurring theme that anytime there is life Spock res- does Spock doesn't have the humans are special and anything that kills humans is a he looks at the calculus and sees billions of humans one horda yeah. But I think that 
the reason why that scene is so effective and I think why it's so misinterpreted is that it's not that Spock is acting out of character there, but he's, he's acting like way in character. Mm-hmm. He's, he realizes that, you know, this creature has killed 50 men and he's alone with, he's alone with Kirk. He's alone with his friend. And in that situation, um, you know, Spock's emotional attachment to Kirk comes yeah. out and he's like, yeah, no, kill it. I, you know, he, he, he can't say it, but he's like, no, I don't want you to die. So I'd rather you kill this creature than have you die. Yeah. Whereas I think if, if it was anybody else that was cornered by this creature, I think Spock would not have said kill it. Yeah. I think it was just a red shirt. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, I've said, you know, Kirk keeps his friendship with Spock because at this point he recognizes when Spock is showing a very deep display of affection. And that for Spock is, you know, an undying declaration of love and friendship. Absolutely. Yeah. No, totally. Now that's an interesting explanation of it. Yeah. Now I've been talking a lot. So, so what, what do you have? Well, I thought, I mean, this number one, this episode obviously had a bit more of a budget than the others because it had a ton of sets. Now they're mostly again, paper mache tunnels and things, but there's things they built. I mean, it's a very, the entirety of the episode, except for the very end, which is on the bridge, is set in the tunnels or in, like, an office or two. It's a very claustrophobic episode, which works definitely for it. I mean, this is—it's a creepy episode. This is a monster episode. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the first the first scene, like, the the um, the um cold open uh, yeah. is, is, like, directly out of a horror movie. Yeah, where you have these space marines, basically, you know, and they get—you know, one the one gets killed. You don't— they have the POV shots of the monster. They yeah. have those things. It's It was very well done, and it was a very well-written, well-acted. The whole mind-melding scene was, you know, Nimoy doing really well. You know, uh, Shatner did really well again on, yeah. on this. It was, I don't know, it was very well. I see why this is one of the classic episodes, because this is one of the episodes that I knew. And I knew the plot of it, actually. I knew that the monster turned out to be you know, protecting its it's, own, it's own a, existence. Yeah, it's a little difficult not to. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, everybody knows the twist ending to Psycho, for example. Um, what, 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 I haven't seen it yet. Oh, oh, uh, well, um, it, it's a happy movie. Just go ahead and watch it. Okay. Yeah, it, it's about puppies and stuff. I love puppies and stuff. Yeah. Why don't we just make a store called Puppies and Stuff? That would be great. It would, And it, it'll just be like stuffing and like the puppies are playing in it. Aww. I know. And they're just like romping around and then they're just like nap time and they each get like an individual little blanket, but then they all cuddle up. I want to be there right now. I know. Let's go. Okay. Bye. Bye. Um, it, it, it was a good solid episode. It, it, it exemplifies the themes of the series, which is cooperation and diplomacy over over violence and they definitely managed to create a system of cooperation between these miners and the horda where they are both you know working together to you know have 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 things be good i i i thought at the end they should give a bit more of a benefit to the horda because all the horda really gets is not getting killed yeah and so they kind of enslaved the horda to their own purposes to a degree well, or I mean, they're using the Horda, and the Horda get no benefit. But then again, it's um, commensalism. That it, it is a uh, legitimate uh, 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 f- a- a- animal thingy, you know, animal behavior th- uh, 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 
it's it's a symbiotic relationship yeah. when uh the horda is not harmed and you know when one benefits but does not harm or help the other so. yeah and i i think you know they're they're definitely not enslaving the horda yeah, because yeah, yeah. at this point i think if if the horda did not want to do this they would leave yeah like you know, they would just pack up and leave i mean you know, we, we haven't seen... Or they just continue, you know, hey, I got a billion fucking babies coming out, and I'm going to just, you know, yeah, acid I... all you. Do what now? Acid all of them. Nah, I don't think so. I mean... I... If, if the Horda didn't want to do... If this was a... If humanity tried to aggressively enslave the Horda, oh, sure. the Horda wouldn't fight back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's no, what I mean. Absolutely, they would. But, of course, you know, they, they wouldn't do that. I mean, the, the humans wouldn't do that. And I think at this no. point at this point in the show, we, we know that they wouldn't do this. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So. And that's – yeah, and I think that's, that's an interesting point. Like, there, it's this idea that no matter how different you are and no matter, you know, what sort of um, environment you, you, you're in or anything – uh, you can find a common ground, you can find a way to communicate, and you can come to some sort of agreement. And I think that's a, I mean, that's a great, yeah. that's just a gr- nice, great thing. And, you know, the fact, I mean, there's even this great little line at the very end of the episode yeah. where the head miner's like, yeah, the Horde aren't so bad w- once you get used to how weird they look. Yeah. And then Kirk, uh, on the bridge, Kirk and Spock, it's like, well, Spock is like, well, I think that's interesting because, of course, you know, when I was mind melding with the Horda, she said that she thought the humanoid form was uh, <laughs> disgusting, except for yeah. my ears. <laughs> He's like, well, she's a sophisticated creature with taste. Like, yeah. I, I, I like how when 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 uh, he gets smug, and it, isn't it was it in that or in the next one where uh, Kirk accuses Spock of being human or doing. Uh, I think it was the second episode. Okay, we then watched. never mind. Yeah, yeah. Just don't bring that up. I'm sorry, it never happened. Wait, let's go back and dive. Anyway, that was welcome to Trek about. Yeah, my name is Richard. <laughs> so, uh, one of the other things that I think we should talk about with this episode is uh, the whole Silicon Life aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because. Um, you know, I don't know that much about, you know, sort of, um, z- uh, what do you call it, xenobiology, uh, which is a real field, yeah. like, you know, astrobiology, it's called, not xenobiology. Um, okay. It, it's the same thing, I think. Uh, well, I guess xenobiology well, would be a more explicit study of something that actually exists, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't I'm not know. sure. But anyway, so. <laughs> I'm a podcaster, not a biologist. <laughs> and thank God for that. Uh, no, I, I think it's really, really interesting because, um, it, it gives Star Trek almost this hard science aspect to it, which it doesn't have very often. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of course McCoy is sort of indignant at the whole, you know, when, when Spock is theorizing that maybe it's a Silicon life form, you know, McCoy is like indignant he's like, that's crazy. We, yeah. we don't, that's, uh, it's impossible. How could that happen? You know, I mean, and that's McCoy's role in the show. Most of the time is just to be like, fuck you, Spock. Like, I don't believe anything you say. You're just, cause you're Spock. I don't, I don't like you. He's grumpy basically. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that of course Spock is right. And this creature is Silicon based. And I like it because, you know, I mentioned before the very end of the episode where McCoy is, is fixing the uh, creature where they phasered <laughs> off a piece of its uh, hide yeah. with, with concrete and says, Oh yeah, it's going to act like a bandage and it'll, it'll heal the wound and then it'll fall off when, you know, it's, it's healed. Um, and he's just like gleeful. He's like a little kid almost. Yeah. And, and he's like, I could, I could cure anything right yeah. now. And he like, he, cause he's just got it. Probably one of the biggest challenges that any human doctor has ever given. How do I repair something? Who's, 
molecular structure is wholly different than because while well, he can cure a Vulcan and anything, you know, he can't. He's never seen no no human has seen this biology. I mean, before. not only that, but like all of the medicine that that he knows either w- would do nothing to this creature or might actively harm it. He doesn't yeah. know, and so he just comes up with this idea and it works, and he's he's just really happy about it. And I think it's a you know. It, it really focuses on those three core characters um, more than anything else, and that's what I really like about it, too. Well, they both have McCoy and Spock have different degrees of skepticism. McCoy, they're both completely scientists. They're both devoted to the scientific method and process, but McCoy is very skeptical. He do, Unless he sees something, unless he has hard evidence for something, it doesn't exist. Meanwhile, uh, Spock is one of those who, if theoretically it can work, he accepts it's the possibility of its existence he will wait for a definite proof either way and yeah. you know a lot of times he says you know i don't want to talk about that quite yet you know i want to get more information before making a judgment on this but for the most part spock is a much more open-minded person than really anybody no absolutely yeah and i think that's interesting because it it for him there's no his philosophy and his whole like the way that he he lives his life there's no preconceived notions there's no sort of like internalized belief system it's all logic it's yeah. all rationality and if it's logically possible okay well maybe it is possible yeah no and, matter how much he doesn't want it to be true or how much it isn't likely to be true he has to admit its existence yeah and i i think it's interesting because okay there's a couple things in this episode that um are introduced here and they're kind of like these star trek jokes yeah. Uh, number one is Spock calculating odds. This is, I think, the first time that we see co- uh, cock. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we see cock. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is the first time that we see Spock calculating odds, uh, which is sort of like the sort of this running joke, you know, that, yeah, that yeah. comes throughout the series and the movies. You know, oh, the odds are this, the odds are that. He does it in the next episode like twice, I think. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, we get this, uh, the McCoy formulation, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, not an ex, uh, in his famous line, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer (laughs) in this episode. Um, just two little things, you know, to watch out for, uh, which you'll see more of. I will make a point to look at this. The other thing that I think is, is, you know, going back to the idea of humans and, and, and the Federation as being more evolved than, uh, you know, present day humans. Uh, it, it's interesting because when Kirk, Spock and, and McCoy are, are trying to help the Horda um, and they're basically like fobbing off the miners and they're holding them back with with uh, security personnel from the Enterprise. Yeah. And the miners are like ready to just like riot and just kill the thing. Uh, and they actually do. They they trick the red shirts because the red shirts are not very good at their job. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest. Well, one of them um, was wearing uh, a tannish goldish, so he, you know, as we said, gold always beats red. Yes. There you go. Uh, that's a, yeah. That's right. Um, you know, basically, like, hey, look over there, and then just hits him with <laughs> the pipe. I mean, really, like, come on. Um, and they're running and running. They're about to kill the thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And Kirk is basically like, hey, um, you were destroying. This is this is an intelligent creature she's a mother like you were destroying her eggs and the and the the, the miners are like oh like they're legitimately sh- like yeah. saddened and shocked and they're like oh we we didn't know like we we really didn't know uh we don't want to kill this thing now yeah yeah they they thought this was a monster but they're realizing it's not <laughs> which 
you know, kind of shames, I think, people watching this now because, and, you know, even 50 years ago, um, I mean, we're, this, you know, we, we certainly haven't involved much uh, since 1967 because you, you can really sort of, there are definite parallels there to, you know, colonialism and, and these sorts of things. Um, and I don't know that, you know, people in this situation uh, in the 19th century, the 20th century, even now would, would necessarily care all that much. I mean, we've got a lot of horrible things going on now, even with, you know, fellow humans and yeah. they don't care. So I think it's interesting that not only do they accept that and not only are they, but it's like this immediate reaction. And it really goes, I think, to show you that, the idea of humanity as evolving its moral code to such a degree that it's like this ingrained respect for life is there. Yeah. Well, again, we, we, I, I, we, we should probably do the communism wrap up at the end of the episode because both episodes have something to say about that. But this is another example where I think the episode is about communism at the end, because you have these two sides who ultimately both, are trying to live their lives and do their own thing and they're only clashing against each other because of miscommunications or not realizing or no real desire to harm the other but belief that the other is being harmed by, you know, themselves. Um, I mean, I think that you can make that you can make that parallel, I think, much more strongly in Errand of Mercy. Of I course. Don't, I don't know that I it's, necessarily it's, it, buy that for this episode. I'd say it's a minor point, not not the... <laughs> minor point. <laughs> It's not as big of a point as Errand of Mercy is, certainly, but I can't help but take that as the subtext for most of the episodes there, just because politically, that's what was on the stage. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, that would be akin to, you know, the last 10 years of, of any television on now yeah. and, and, and sort of post 9-11 interpretations of it. I mean, that was just a standard thing that you do. Yeah. Um, and so sort of like not not post-communist, but, but you know, sort of Cold War interpretations of what was going on in popular culture then. And hell, we could take the Horda episode to be about the you know Middle East situation as well. Just yeah. Because well, it's, it's applicable. I mean, that. that's the interesting thing, of course, is that. You know, as much as and this is something, again, that, you know, perhaps is one of the reasons why Star Trek is still so loved. And, you know, it, it is almost unrealistically optimistic because yeah. you can take this episode as sort of a, a communism allegory. You can take it as a um, a post 9-11 allegory. Uh, you can take it as a colonialism allegory. You can take it as all sorts of horrible things that we do to each other allegory, which kind of makes it. Uh, you know, the fact that, that Star Trek is so like almost naively optimistic in the, uh, you know, in the sort of revel revelatory power of uh, belief systems in changing the way that we act. Uh, I don't know that that's even possible, but I think that's why Star Trek is, is such a, you know, call it, it, it really like, a, if you like Star Trek, like you really like it. And that's, I think that's one of the main reasons why people like it so much is it, it does touch on a real desire to live like this. And, you know, the hell of it is, you know, the fact that we can look at all these different examples in our own history and say, well, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this, you know, kind of underscores the point that this is really, really yeah. improbable that, that this sort of society would ever come about. Yeah. But maybe a the experience of needing to work together for a common goal. I mean, you have 
obviously the Federation is not a United States thing. It's a world thing. So, I mean, that's, that's not even a world thing. It's a, it's a, you know, oh, yeah. multiple but, I mean, world it, thing. You, I mean, he, well, let, let's, let's look at what the history of the Star Trek universe is. You have Earth in the late 90s is besieged by these superhuman dictators who are all above humanity as far as power goes, but who are all horrible genocidal maniacs. And when they're all finally destroyed, you have the regular humans, quote-unquote, who see, all right, this is a an evolved form of us without proper moral or societal guidance. I mean, I, I think we've mentioned the... Uh, 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 the the culture novels by Ian Banks, which yeah. specifically has it. It's a post scarcity uh, uh, society that you know basically because there's no problems. You know, you have everybody's just kind of living a life of pleasure, and but you have the and the interesting thing is like it, you know I don't mean to interrupt you, but no. um, the the Federation in in the original series is not a post scarcity society, like yeah. blatantly not. Uh, that that doesn't come about until till much later in of Star course. Trek. But I think that I think that's more interesting. I think you know. But yeah. Anyway, go on. But either way, I mean, I, I I haven't read enough of the books to know what the history of that and what led to that is. But one of the points of the series is that the culture is always trying to conquer and subsume new societies into itself because it's a guiding plan for the entire society. And it's it specifically says without a goal, it will just fall apart. So I mean, you have earth which is again these regular humans who are left who are saying all right well we want to evolve we want to be better certainly as a species as a society as a civilization except we need a guiding moral framework and then that's i assume what the federation was a worldwide goal to work towards something a galactic mission of peace and diplomacy and exploration and knowledge and so therefore you have humans who had this in their history and who see a desire for cooperation rather than conquest, who see a desire for unity rather than feudalism. And so I think only without... uh, I wonder if the series has the dark underlying message that a utopian society is only possible with a shitload of bloodshed at the beginning. Well, that's depressing. I mean, maybe though. I, I I don't disagree with you, and I think, uh, I actually think I think I think that's really astute. I really do because you have not seen much Star Trek, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Okay, but I think you're pretty spot on. Yay! Like I think I mean, especially I'm thinking of of one of the movies in particular, which the whale uh, one. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, it's a next generation movie. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen any of the next. And 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 listeners out there who are very familiar with Star Trek will, will probably know which one I'm talking about. Um, spoiler alert: it has Vulcans in it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. I think you're right, and I think you know, you know what you're saying there about. It's more about allowing a framework for people to develop themselves personally because i don't think that the federation is very interested in territory i don't think it's very interested in in wealth uh i don't think it's very interested in in any of the benchmarks or you know sort of um traditional like material things that 
countries and, and empires are interested in. I think it's 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 more about uh, they want to allow as many sentient people, whatever you want to call them, as possible to live without having to worry about hunger, without having to yeah. worry about war, without having to worry about disease and all of these terrible things and to allow them to to better themselves and you know so i think it's 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 a very personal sort of philosophy in a lot of ways well yeah to jump ahead to the next episode for a second when they're offering protection they basically say look we're gonna offer you protection you know kind of free of charge we got this you know they don't say you know you must be a part of the federation no they're just freely offering their help and you know they're giving it to the other planet to take or leave they're strongly urging because they you know believe that without the federation help this planet is toast but for the most part it does seem benevolent anytime the federation has offered assistance it's just been kind of well that's the right thing to do we have this yeah you know might for right type of ideals yeah they they have the ability to help and they want to help yeah uh now they may not understand it when when you don't want the help yeah but they're not going to force it on you like they'll just leave Mm-hmm. Um. Then again, put Kirk in danger. You know, put put anybody in danger, and you know the tables have turned. Maybe you know. But the thing is, like, you know, to go back to to like since it's fresh in my mind, a taste of Armageddon, for example. Um, you know where it, it, it Kirk and Spock and everybody else were like, "Wow, this this uh, uh, civilization is is stagnant. This is terrible. Like, how can you do this? This is totally immoral. Just killing people with yeah, no yeah, reason." Yeah. Um. You know, if you want a war, you're going to have it. And faced with that sort of situation, you can see um, a, a different sort of, uh, you know, to take an example that, you know, we, we've seen before, like, you know, uh, let's say, um, you know, the Gorn or something. Uh, we're in that situation. They probably wouldn't uh, destroy the computer. They would do something totally different. They would just probably kill a bunch of people and then escape or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Um well, but but even but even when Kirk is being destructive, he's sort of like being destructive in a constructive way. Okay, I think we need to triple out uh, "Devil in the Dark" because we're starting to talk about we're 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 edging around uh, the next episode. Okay, all right, let's do that then. All right, so I would give "Devil in the Dark" only nine tribbles. Only nine? Why? And because at the end. When the head miner is talking, he's saying, oh, yeah, you know, the babies have started to hatch, you know, cute little devils once you get used to him. What would have made the episode a 10 is if he turned around and he was petting a baby Horta. That would have been great. That's the only reason I didn't give it a 10, because you talk to me about a baby Horta, I want a fucking baby Horta. Okay. All right. I'll give that to you. I mean, I have to give it a 10. Of course. But because of that. It gets a nine point nine 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 nine. Repeating, yeah. Is there like a there, there's a little there's a the, the, I don't know what that thing is called, but it's, it's a line. It's a thing. It's, it's a, a line. Well, a line segment. I think, it's, I think it's called a bar. Bar. Oh, are we going to the bar? A repeating bar. <laughs> I, I I I repeatedly went to the bar in college. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our next episode, Errand of Mercy. Okay. I wanted to like this episode more than I did. Okay, that's fair. I thought in some ways it was Arena Part 2. I mean, we did mention the Metrons. It kind of goes... It has the same exact premise for the most part, different details. Um, Coming to a slightly different moral at the end. Um, 
more going into the morality of what the Metrons are doing, because they don't really go into that in the first episode. Um, but other than that, uh, I didn't find it a particularly plot-wise interesting episode. Um, just kind of happened. It was a typical Star Trek episode as far as that goes. Yeah, here's a bunch of people acting strangely. Why? Okay, well, here's the, you know, and at the end, they reveal the reason, and oh, and here's a lesson. And let's joke on the bridge. Right. That being said, I have the feeling because this is the introduction of Klingons, this is this is one of the most important episodes in the series. So it's really not. Yeah. Uh the Organians don't really have much to do with anything after this. Uh good, good. And I think you know where this where my opinion of them is leading, by the way. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I know exactly oh. where you're going because again, they're your bugaboo, they're energy beings. Yeah energy beings yeah yeah what's even the point they're just like well this planet must be made so that way if they want to enter why the fuck would energy beings ever want to interact with like it's like i okay see here's the thing i i like this episode um mostly because uh i don't know his the actor's name but the 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 guy who plays core is just like oh yeah he just like he's fun to watch oh no he's that's the Kirk and core scenes are Yeah, great. like, those are the meat of the episode, really. And, you know, you've got Spock running around in this sort of, like, uh, Robin Hood thing. <laughs> you know, he's pretending to be a traitor and whatever. And that's fun. You know, that that's that's nice. Um, Good for him. Leonard Nimoy got that paycheck, and I bet he had a steak. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing about this episode is that it's it's one of my pet peeves in that it's an episode that exists only because characters in the episode are deliberately not telling people something. Like, why wouldn't the Organians just be like, yo, we got this? Like, we're actually not this medieval stagnating society. We're actually, like, super powerful energy beings Mm -hmm. and totally, like, you're fine. Like, just go. Like, we don't need you. Yeah, I mean, because it, it just wastes everybody's time. Really. Yeah, if they're making, it's not put, like they put they put two people in danger. I mean, they never do really because at the end of the episode, when it looks like the Klingons and Kirk and Spock are actually going to start firing at each other, suddenly they they Deus Ex Machina some way that they're making all of the weapons and their bodies extremely hot. I I okay. I, 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 I just I didn't really. <laughs> you know how there's sometimes like in uh. God, what was the one where they... I mean, there's several when... They, oh, the, the, the one where they're beaming everyone out at the end of uh, where they travel to the 60s. Like, right. I had no idea what the explanation meant. I just knew that, oh, something's going to be done, and they did it. You just kind of went with it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, we just pushed a button, and everything was happy. Like, we pushed the happy button. Okay, good job. Why didn't you push the happy button at the beginning? But that's a different story. Yeah. I mean, and for that reason alone, I don't like it. Um, at least I don't like that aspect of the episode. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the Organians are not very interesting. They're just sort of these like indecipherable ciphers that are are just not telling the the Kirk and Spock something just because without that there would be no episode. But it's like so again. And I think like yeah. this is the thing that really kind of pisses me off oh, about yeah. the episode is that like. The scenes with Core and Kirk are really good. Like every scene they're in together, it's amazing. Yeah. And I would just like to have seen this episode, the introduction of the Klingons. And again, like 
you don't have any prior knowledge really of Star Trek. So obviously you know about Klingons yeah. because you're an American male, but uh but number one I know I know Worf Klingons as it is. Right. Yeah, you you you're more familiar with the the pre, you know, or the post original series Klingons. Yeah, yeah. Um so so number one of course, you know, if if you're not familiar with Star Trek, you're not going to really know that the Klingons are important. Like as far as you know, they're like the Gorn. Like they appear once and maybe they appear again. You don't know. You don't know that they're important. Again, it's like what you you didn't like Balance of Terror. Yeah. And the Romulans are very important, you know, but again, you don't know. And you in some know. ways, like you could see this episode wanting to be balance of terror because you have this, these two captains who are evenly matched in, and several times, you know, Kor says, you know, oh, I'd hope, uh, you know, he's excited when he feels he's like, oh my God, it's Kirk. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, I, it's one of my, it's on my list of things to do before I retire from being a commander to fight Captain Kirk. You know, damn, too bad. it's not, And at the end, he said like, it would have been glorious. You know, he's having the civil conversation in his quarters. Like, and I'm glad that you said that because, um, there was that as well. And then there was something in the previous episode, devil in the dark, that one of the miners says at the very beginning where he says something like, is it true that the enterprise is coming? Yes. They're it, starting those, to get those, a, yeah. Like those two things are starting to, you're starting to get like this, um, this like knowledge of the atmosphere, like the society that they live in. Like, yeah, okay. Like regular Federation citizens like know what the Enterprise is because the Enterprise is like awesome. Well, hell, and I mean, I, we like it's this legendary thing. You know, it, it, it makes sense. It just totally makes sense. We've seen 23 episodes of doing some crazy things and being at the forefront of some pretty interesting history. I mean, he was the first Starship captain to be court-martialed a few episodes ago. Uh, he captured yeah, like, that you know. dictator. He found the last remaining uh, genetically altered superhuman. He <laughs> narrowly avoided a war with Romulus. He, yeah. I mean, all every single, any episode that you can point to, he invented time travel. Hell, I mean, of course Kirk is famous. You Kirk know, is having a pretty good year. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that totally makes sense, and I like that aspect of it. Yeah. And I like the fact that Kor knows who he is. Obviously, the Klingons know who he is. Obviously, uh, and there, you know, it, it, it's funny because that—that's the episode I, I think would have made it a stronger episode. Just get rid of the Organians because you can sort of see this like, well, we have to have this like twist, and we have to have this sort of like mystery running throughout the episode. I don't think you need that. And I think Balance of Terror shows you that you don't need that. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, because we don't really need a sort of like external force acting on these characters because they're really good just on their own. And I wish that they would have realized that and just gotten rid of the Organians entirely. On the other hand, I think the uh, point of the episode demands a stalemate. And I don't think you would have the Klingons ever realizing that. While they're more, uh, while they have a more developed civilization than the Gorn, the Gorn, Gorn, um, the, the lizards, yeah, yeah. While they have a more sophisticated civilization than the Gorn, um, at, at least based on the evidence that we see, um, uh, just because I mean they have an empire and the Gorn don't seem to. Um, or maybe they do. I, I, we, I don't, we know. don't know. Well, you know, they have territory. So I think the, the point is, um, you know, the Klingons are feared throughout the galaxy. The Gorn are not. So that's that alone. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. But you don't have the Kl- the Klingons don't ever seem the type to surrender. They don't have, they believe their way of life is right. And hell, 
Kor would do it just for the glory and the fun of it, you know, to fight Kirk. You know, at the end, his his last line in the episode is, you know, it's a sh- basically it's a shame that you know we didn't get to fight. It would have been glorious. Yeah, know? like you get the sense that if Kirk was just like, okay, let's fight, like let's fight right now, like Kor would be like totally up for it. Like yeah. he'd be like, sure, let's fight. Like, hey, not even anything personal. Like this is going to be the greatest challenge yeah. of my life. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think honestly, like, um, right out of the gate, I think that the Klingons are the most developed of any of the alien races that we've yes. seen. The Gorn, really not so much. The Romulans, a little bit, but not too much. Um, the Klingons, I think, are the most developed because you get these sense. You get you get the sense. Like Kirk says, "Oh, it's a military dictatorship. They're ruthless. Like they just want war." Nazis. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're Nazis or con- like whatever they are. Um, and and aside from that, you get this sense that yeah, they they really like violence. They like fighting, but they find it sort of. I don't know, beautiful, alluring, like it's, it, there's, it's, there's, I mean, it's, it's definitely, and that's one of the things that I believe is kept as far as my knowledge of next generation. They, they're one of those proud warrior, you know, cultures. They, yeah, you know, they, they believe in honor and glory and fighting. And I know in next generation there, they focus on the noble halves of that, you know, uh, well there's in, okay. So this is interesting because right there, okay. Two things. So number one, um, core especially, but I think a lot of the, the Klingons, um, are going for more of this sort of like Genghis Khan, like yeah. sort of thing. Right. And that totally makes sense because yeah. of course that, especially with the facial hair, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Like that makes sense. Um, and then the other thing of course, is that at the very end of the episode, when the Organians have revealed themselves and they say, uh, oh, well, you know, at, at, at some point in the future, um, you know, the Federation, and the Klingons are going to be fast friends, you know, like, I think that's interesting. Like, is that true? Well, I don't know. Maybe. But uh, I actually do know, but I just don't want to tell Richard. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I th- you know, I think that's I think that's interesting. I just think that's interesting. I don't know. Well, I mean, they figured that, you know, enough needing to work towards the common thing or being stalemated enough, they're going to. I, 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 mean, I mean, it's interesting because. They the Argonians say something like, you know, what are you always going to fight, you know, or something? And Kirk's like, well, eventually we'll stop. And I'm like, it. He's defeated by the logic. Like, yeah, I guess you know, I really had. He's been thinking short term. He hasn't been thinking about. He all he thinks is, you know, we're at war. I'm thinking of these the the tactics to deal with these. He's thinking on a battle sense, and. You know, the Argonians make it clear that, no, you need to think about the war. You need to figure out an endpoint, which it's really funny given that this shows some hypocrisy in Kirk in that he has gone to other societies and said, you know, I'm more powerful than you and this is a higher moral law. Defeating uh, Landru's computer was exactly what the Argonians are doing to him. Uh, what, What he did to the... Taste of Armageddon, people, is the same thing that the uh, yeah. the Metrons or the Argonians are doing. I mean, this is just the the show constantly goes in that there needs to be the 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 people who have higher evolution and whatever that means in an allegorical context, you know, is fairly obvious and will right. listeners, but has a responsibility to those lower, even in. Oh God! What is the one with 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 the energy mean kid who turn who thinks he's Napoleon? Squire of Gothos. Squire of Gothos. Again, you have 
and Andrew Jiming is torturing, and his parents, who are older and therefore more highly evolved than he is, are saying, no, that's wrong. You don't, you don't torture, you know, things that are lower than you. You help them. You're nice to them. You're good for them, and that's wrong. Yeah, well, there's this um, conception of, like, basically there, there's two basic types of, of societies, right? There's top-down and bottom-up. And I think, you know, what we've seen so far in Star Trek is, is strongly on the, the side of top-down. Yeah. There's a noblesse oblige, in a way, yeah, at work yeah. here. And, you know, it's funny because you see this a lot. You see this with the Met- – like you said, the Metrons, the Organians. You see this in Squire of Gothos. You see this a lot in the show uh, where these very evolved beings, even more evolved in the Federation, uh, are, are are sort of inter- – they're, they're, they're kind of guiding them and sort of like forcing them in some respects to do things. Whereas the Federation doesn't force anybody to do anything. And I think that's kind of a difference. But it's given kind of Hobson choices in a way. I mean, based on the available evidence in this episode, you see a society which is going to fall to the Klingons in about 35 seconds. Uh, So Kirk's saying, all right, either you can have the entire force of the Federation to vacuum in this fight or we'll leave and let you get your ass kicked. Like, that's not really a choice um i mean it kind of is it, i mean it, it it's be it's pretty- it's leaving it up to them because i guess you know in that situation uh and again like but i think it's interesting because you know and i i i, I know that i say it's interesting a lot but uh it is interesting uh <laughs> it's just like kirk doesn't have all the available information and i think one of the reasons why the show is maybe a little problematic sometimes is that Kirk never really realizes that maybe he doesn't have all of the available information. Yeah. Um, or not all the available information, but just all of the information. Well, yeah, he sees these people who are smiling and he thinks they're simple. He doesn't realize that this is like, you know, a five-year-old gives you his business plan and you're, and it's you're, kind of, you're, you're yeah. a tycoon, you know? And it's kind of like... Okay, well, if Kirk goes to this planet, the Organians, and he says, hey, look, the Klingons are coming. They're a military dictatorship. Like, you are not going to like living under their rule. The Federation will help you. Like, we will protect you from the Klingons. Yeah. And the Organians are basically like, nah, it's fine. We're, we're cool. Don't worry about it. We don't need you. Mm-hmm. And, and Kirk is flustered by this. And he just, he doesn't know what to do. Uh and I think, you know, there, it's missing something there where why doesn't Kirk ask them why? Yeah, he never does. There's one point when they it seems like they come close and then someone calls them on the communicator, but they only do that. Like, it's not like he keeps getting interrupted. And again, given that they say they built this planet to, uh, you know, commune with lower energy beings. Right. Um, Everything is for the appearance of them. And it gives them, Spock even says, like, this is just for us to have points of reference. Yeah. Um, and assumedly, whatever other species visited, everybody would look like, you know, and all of that. And also, by the way, the multicolored goats are awesome. I don't remember. Did you not see the multicolored goats? No. Oh, man. I mean, there was, like, a lot of... Uh, they were really cool. Oh, they're, I, like te- uh, they're like technicolored goats. Maybe they took it out in the um, special effects thing. No, no, they're in there. Uh, yeah, I just must have not seen. They just it. took some goats and like dyed them, <laughs> but it's awesome because it's goats like dyed? space goats. <laughs> um, but 
so therefore, um, the fact that they are prepared to commune with lower energy beings means it's not like it's a secret that they're energy beings. They're not trying to keep a – and even yeah. so, like, why would they give a fuck? They're energy beings. What could you do? So it seems almost like they're keeping this just to fuck with them. Like, I almost wonder if – Are the Oganians just bored? Well, I wonder if it w- – wouldn't you be if you were an energy being and couldn't have sex? I mean, come on. Yeah, probably. Could, um, I couldn't eat pie. Yeah. Can do a lot of like things. Pumpkin pie. Yeah. Um, maybe it's the case where the Argonians were about to explain, like, okay, you know, we're fine. No, you have to understand that we know what's bad. And they're just like, okay, Jesus, like we were gonna be like we're energy beings, you know, anything. It's you really want, okay. You know, we're, it's really okay. Yeah, like maybe they figured that Kirk was being impudent, and they figured, okay, well, we're just gonna fuck with you. You know, the Klingons are just assholes, so. You know, we'll just let them have their fun as long as they want. But, you know, you guys, like, are just being stupid. So. Well, it's, I mean, now that I, you know, now that we're talking about it, I mean, I think maybe one of the things that we're missing here is just, you know, uh, maybe it's just that the Organians don't want to bother. Like, it's just easier for them to let the Klingons come. Because they're like, you know what? The Federation, you don't need to go to any any special help for us. We're going to be fine. Yeah. You guys can leave. The Klingons will come. Like, and we'll, they're, they're, and they're we'll un- just be okay with it because they're not going to do anything to us because we're energy beings. They're undoubtedly thousands and thousands of years old at this point. Let's, they may even right. be immortal. So, therefore, they're like, yeah, okay, so the Klingon Empire is around for 500 years. Whatever. I'll just take a nap. And, you know, oh, no, we'll be fun. Like, I mean, maybe they're even considering it like, okay, we're going to play dress up. Yeah. I'm going to be a mayor this week. I mean, even the thing about, like, they, they killed 200 of the Organians because Kirk uh, yeah. uh, escaped. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> uh, you know, they yeah. didn't really die. I, mean, I, I think that, you know, they, that was their opportunity to pantomime their best death scene. You know, they just. Right. They're having. <laughs> fun with it they're yeah. all they're all playing like theater yeah exactly like oh man i, I, I i'm totally gonna die again. like they're, they're all waiting on a line to be the one who gets you know to be in the 200 to die like you know, yeah just, all right i'm gonna grab my chest and fall on the ground and you <laughs> scream no really loudly so let me ask you this then so out of the um the the two main alien antagonists that we've seen so far that you know that develop into something else the romulans and the klingons based on the one uh appearance of each that you've seen so far um what do you what do you think of them compared to each other and and, i I mean do you think that one is stronger than the other i mean in terms of like dramatic effect not in terms of you know oh would would a romulan and a klingon if they fought would they win like who cares well i mean they've number one the two actors that we've seen being the representative of each uh species were i'd say equally good they both uh, I we had a little more direct with Core just because he was in the same room. Yeah, um, and we will see uh, Mark Leonard again, the guy who played the Romulan commander. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. Uh, but he died at the end of the episode. Well, and we'll see the actor. I didn't uh, necessarily okay. say we were going to see ah! the character again. Um, Klingon society, as you said, is a bit more developed. I think they had a bit more of the idea because um, Romulans are basically they're Vulcans who like duty. Um, and the... They like what? <laughs> I wanted to say... I wanted to make you game. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, they're, 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 they're just, you know, Vulcans who, ex- instead of logic, 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 it's orders and responsibilities. You can, that, you can say it. I, I really don't think I can. All right. <laughs> um, 
the Klingons are again ca- cross between communists and Nazis, common Nazis, and um, they, you know, they occupy. Why not Nazianists? Because that's just that harder would be to say. Stupid. Okay, sorry. Who the fuck would call themselves a Nazi? To oh, we're the Nazianist party. We're not. No, they're common Nazis. All right, it flows better. Um, and 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 that's about it. So. I don't know. I didn't like either of the two introductory episodes with them. Okay, that's fair. And again, I think you know, Balance of Terror. I, 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 legit, I legitimately think you're insane. For I not know. Liking. I know, and I um, know exactly why. I know why I don't like it. I know why I should like it. Yeah. With this episode, I don't think you're as crazy for not liking it. I don't think you dislike it. It was just a little too much. There's there's definite parts to this episode that are great. I think, again, Kirk and, Kirk and Core yeah. are, are just fantastic. Any scene they're in together. I think on the whole, it's, the episode just feels a little flabby. <laughs> yeah. No, there's been a lot. Of, um, there were too much. There should have been a bit more focus. Yeah. I did want to bring up something because... Um, We've seen a few episodes by this writer, Gene L. Kuhn, now. And, oh, yes. Uh, it, it's interesting because we, we talked about the Metrons and the Gorn and the Klingons and the Organians uh, as being sort of like almost incredibly similar to each other. Um, and he wrote both of those episodes. Okay. So I think that says something about maybe his uh, writing priorities. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, but he's like, he's one of those guys that's really interesting because uh he wrote um eight scripts for uh the original series um well he wrote more than that but he you know he wrote 12 for the original series eight under his name and four under a pseudonym okay um dc fontana <laughs> no uh he he wrote arena so what we've seen so far he wrote arena he wrote a taste of armageddon uh he wrote space seed the devil in the dark and Aaron of mercy huh so these are all at least good episodes. Yeah, I would say um, he definitely contributed like some of the strongest scripts to the series. Okay. Then he wrote. Then he wrote for the third uh, third season under a pseudonym, and he wrote uh, perhaps uh, the worst episode of I'm Star Trek. Really excited for season three ever. So yeah, um, not really sure what happened there, but I think you know. It, just just in terms of the Metrons and the Organians, uh, I think that's another issue with the with the episode is that Gene Alcoon just has this sort of like hard on for this sort of plot. Yeah. And it's not really interesting. Like we saw this already. It was called Arena yeah. and we don't need to see it again. Yeah. Kind I mean, of. He just right? really has something that he needs to like work out. And like I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I studied psychoanalytic criticism in college, but I can't even begin to figure out what issue like that. Obviously, <laughs> he he has some kind of daddy issue. Like I really think that it could uh, be because in both he kind of critiques this paternalist attitude, but he also kind of figures that it's right at the end. So I mean, like this is a. He 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 and his father have an incredibly complex relationship. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. Uh and you know, I mean if you wrote Devil in the Dark that shows something about a very fierce protective mother. Was he gay? Gene L. Coon? Yes. No, he wasn't. Oh. Well, there 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 you go. I only I mean uh, as far as I know, he was married to a woman. Well, or, no. or Oh, you're right. That proves in the 60s that was uh or two women, I think. He wasn't a polygamist. It was different times. I was going to say, wasn't that Gene Roddenberry? 
And also, Gene Alcun died. Like, he's been dead for many years. Gay people can die. <laughs> uh, I, there's one well, moment... Can, can we? <laughs> yeah. Actually. I was under the impression that I was immortal. No, no, no. That's not what gay means. Well, damn. Um, I did love... There, 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 were, there was one moment I really loved where... Um, what was it? Was it the part where Spock says, I am a dealer in Kivos and Trillium? I, I liked that, too. But um, where... where they're trying to find the phasers, and they're like, where are the phasers? And the mayor's like, oh, they're over there. And he opens the junk cabinet, and there's a spare tricorder, some tablecloths, just, like, random shit that I, they had lying. Yeah. I did not notice that. Oh, definitely. Like, it's literally – It's I, I figured there would be, like, an, just there, but no, there's just, like, a bunch of just shit that they put in there, and they're like, oh, put the phasers in – because it's the one cabinet they have in the room. Because oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Go and to the prop room. We need stuff to put in this cabinet. Yeah, just like, I, 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 it, they just threw a bunch of shit in there. I definitely saw a spare tricorder. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. All yeah. right, so uh, I think we're done. We need to rate this. I know. What okay. do you give it? Negative a billion tribbles because fuck energy beings. All right. I give it a six. Okay. That's, that's about what it would do if it didn't have energy beings. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. And I mean, I really hate to say it, Richard, but but um, energy beings are not going anywhere. I know, and I will give. Ev- I will lowly rate every single episode that has an energy being in it because fuck energy beings. And I'm sure that the people that wrote these episodes are extremely upset. Well, I really... except for Gene Alcun because he's dead, and he's been dead for 39 years. That's really sad. It is sad, actually. He died of lung cancer, oh. uh, and apparently he like I don't know had portable oxygen and shit, and he just like died. Like, yeah, so it's bad. Mm. Um, the writers on Star Trek, for whatever reason, uh, don't survive, uh, but the actors do. That's true. Have have any of the... Uh... Uh, yes. Uh, James Doohan died oh, a few years that's ago. That's right, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know why. I can never remember his name. I did this a few episodes ago. DeForest Kelly. Oh, yeah, okay. I always want to call him Montgomery for some reason. I'm sorry. Do not write me letters. I'm getting old. <laughs> Just like DeForest Kelly is not. If I say something that is not correct, it's because I'm getting old. Aww. Yeah, uh, yeah. DeForest Kelly and James Doohan are both dead. Um, but as far as I know... Uh, Roddenberry. Of Roddenberry, yeah. of course, yeah. I but it wasn't. And Major Barrett. Yes, and Major Barrett has died as well. Huh. Uh, but yeah, mo- most most vast majority of the actors yeah. that have appeared in Star Trek are still alive. At least main cast members. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. We could get into guest stars. I don't know, you know, who the hell. <laughs> the is lady dying. who played the daughter of the warlord in the Shakespeare episode is uh, she had she 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 fell off a boat. It was sad. Oh my god, that's really terrible. Okay, so and it was uh, docked and everything. <laughs> Uh, she was an excellent swimmer. If it happened in the middle of the ocean, she would have been fine, but she just like fell right on concrete. That's really terrible. It was all over the news. I'm surprised you didn't see it. I don't watch the news. Uh, um, so uh, if you would like. I don't know whether she really died or not. Please do not write me letters. Uh, if you'd like to Twitter at me, it's Eric Brazier. Uh, if you'd like to Twitter at Richard, just. Uh, Give him a call on Scruff. Yes. Uh, or Grinder. Or Grinder. Either one works for him. Uh, and uh, yeah. Mention, m- mention that you heard me on this podcast and you'll get 10% off. Very good. 
And uh, yeah, like I said last week, um, we'd really appreciate it if you went on and rated us on the iTunes store if you like the show. If you uh, have a blog, please write us up. Yeah, if you have a blog, write us up. Like, cool. Like, do anything. If you have another podcast, we'll whore ourselves out. Sure. We'll do anything for money. Sure, absolutely. Are you or, running or, or, a... Or not money. Are you running a local Star Trek convention? We can appear for a reasonable rate. <laughs> Nobody wants us to appear, but at their we can Star Trek dress convention. up as like you know, Uhura and uh, 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 Nurse Jan, uh, Nurse, what's her name? This is not making it better, Richard. Let's oh. just let's just put a cap on this. Okay. So next week we are talking about the alternative factor and the city on the edge of forever. Uh, wasn't the alternative factor an MTV music show back in like '97? I thought it was a name for the um, HIV vaccine that that never went anywhere, but oh. maybe that was just me. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So join us next week for those two episodes. Uh, I will not say anything more about them. Goodbye. Bye. Puppies. We're at the puppy store. Hello, I'll... sir. I would like to buy a puppy. I love puppies. Can I have one of your puppies, please? No, no, I work at this. You work at the store. No, I'm the customer. I'm the customer. We can't both be the customer. Or can we? What if we're in a situation where we're just all customers and no shopkeepers? Imagine the profound implications for humanity. See, aren't we both producer and consumer in this life? I wasn't listening to you. In this life?